Hey everyone, welcome to Escaping Rock Bottom. I'm Brandon Lee. For those of you who are watching, you're going to notice I have a crazy amazing guest with me today. For those of you who are listening on iTunes or on Spotify, I'm going to introduce him coming up in just a moment. It's a huge treat for me um, that I even got connected to this special guest today because I'm a huge rock fan of his. Oh yeah? He doesn't even know this yet, Didn't but know. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um, but he also has an incredible story of addiction, but also overcoming addiction, and what is really inspiring is to what he has dedicated his life to doing now. So with all that now, I'm going to introduce Wes. If you're watching us right now, you may recognize him from the amazing band Corn. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> You've been a rock and roller for how long? Well, well, I mean, I started playing guitar when I was 14, so okay. I think it starts then. <laughs> I didn't get a record deal until I was 25, which seemed like it took forever, but I guess 10 years is pretty decent, actually. Pretty darn good, I'd say. <clears throat> yeah, so I was out touring. I was Actually, I was playing clubs probably in my early 20s, but but that's not, you know. But it was fun. It was fun, yeah. Right? I mean, because yeah. I think all of us, I sing in the shower and I don't have a good voice, but I think all of us fantasize about being part of like a touring rock band. That the fantasy, yeah, I had to achieve the fantasy. So my first show, we played this club just to finally play, even yeah. though we didn't have a singer. My old band called Avarice, which nobody would ever know. But I told this girl who came, I go, "You got to throw a bra on stage," because my brain was like, "That's what they do at that's rock shows." That's what they do so in like rock I, shows: bras and panties. Just throw them up on stage, make me look cool. That's what I told her to do. I didn't tell the band, like you know, I just wanted them to feel like it was a legit rock show. Okay, so talking about a little bit about the rock career in your early 20s, you're out there, you're living a wild life. I always tell people when I started using drugs, it was a lot of ecstasy at raves back in the day when I was yeah. a, a teenager. And yeah. I always tell people it was fun. I had fun at the oh, beginning. Yeah. Like rock and, it was fun doing a lot of those drugs, going to rock concerts, going to raves. Yeah, there was a while it was working. Like for me... Um, my, my story's a little different. It starts with weed in high school, and I was really shy, really insecure, and then we moved, and I felt very afraid, like, will I be accepted in this new school? Of course, I wasn't processing it to that intellectual level. I just had fear. And so I hid with weed, and I found the stoners, and that was my crew. So that was the beginning, right, of me seeking to make myself feel better through outside you know, substances. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then when, that just continued and progressed. Interesting. Do, when you look back, do you think that – why were you shy? Like you hear you – you know, that's uh, might be yeah, surprising to a lot of people because here you are know. like performing in front of millions of people <laughs> traveling around the world. How yeah. can you be a shy guy? Well, I think a lot of – and I have a lot of musician friends who are – maybe you call them insecure or they're shy or whatever. But there's something we talk about in recovery too, which is we need top approval – so we overcompensate. So you, a lot of people go, they'll tell you a story of meeting their favorite rock star and going, he was so mellow. It's like, well, what do you think? He like he's a maniac on stage. Like, Rah! you think he's gonna go? I'm a you know what I mean? That's what <laughs> it's a it's a persona. Yeah, and we're actors, not that in the sense that we're not fake. fake. It's you, you. It's a yeah. different version of you. Right. It's kind of no different than when somebody stops me and they're like, oh, like we see you on the news all the time and you seem yeah. like this. But then I meet you at the grocery store and you're yeah. like tatted up everywhere. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, it's a different me. Yeah, right? we have and we have masks we show. Right. We yeah. have the mask of how are you? I'm fine. Yeah. Right. And we can't always show our true self. Like if you went in a job interview, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing horrible. My <laughs> wife just left me and I'm really, you know, you, we have some Filters. masks. Yeah. We, some masks we yeah. have to wear for society and, uh, and where do we draw the line? 
you know what I mean? So we, we play these different roles in different places. So for me, um, it was just always fear of being accepted. I didn't understand I could just be nice and that's all I had to do and the rest is up to God or the universe. It was more like this voice of like, I have to do something to make these people like me, whether lie or right. make up stories of like one, one thing I did right away. I was actually pretty good at guitar really quickly because I was obsessed. Like in my neighborhood of all the beginners, I was maybe arguably the best beginner, whatever that means. Right. But I still wasn't satisfied with that. And I would teach the other kids. But I we used to have high speed dubbing. This is cassette tape days. So when you're dubbing cassette tape, you hit this button and it would go extra fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I figured out if I recorded myself on there and then I high speed dub, it would go really fast. So I would play really slow, like dear, near, near. And then I'd high speed dub it and then I'd call my friend, Hey, what's up, Steve? What Look are you doing? My and skills. Then, and there was it'd go <laughs> He's like, Is that you playing guitar? Yeah, bro, I'm just playing. I, you know, I'm just kicking back. Yeah. That was my insecurity manifesting. That, that's amazing. When you like when you reflect back and, and, and you're at your young rock and roll stage, um, when did it start to to get a little bit out of control? Was there ever a time where you're like, All right, things are starting to get a little too wild? Well, I always had a uh, gear that was a little bit too far than everybody in weed or drinking, right? Yeah. And it wasn't every day I smoked weed, pretty much. But I was always the guy who was a little bit too, a little bit too drunk, and I didn't understand. I'm like, I'm just drinking like you guys. Why right. are you giving me a hard time? But when it really and I was, you know, they talk about addiction, how we try to prove we're not addicted. Which once you're trying to do that, then you might realize you have a problem because people who don't have a problem don't have to prove they don't have a problem. <laughs> But anyhow, so I would stop weed or stop this or cut back on that. But what happened is I had all these bands that really didn't do anything. And then when Head, um, we formed from a bunch of different bands and we were lost with our direction and our songs were horrible. And then I met um, some people who were doing meth and I came home drunk and I had to go to rehearsal and then I caught him snorting something. And of course, I'm like, I'll do that, what whatever is that? it is. Yeah. They told me it was heroin. Suddenly, I'm like spazzing out, and I wrote two songs on the way to rehearsal that were really sick. They were cool. One of them made the record. If you know Head P.E., it's called Firsty, because um, that's the first song I brought in that day. But Meth became my muse, so mm. that's when it kicked up. So, you know, we talk about, like, for example, like recovery rooms, maybe 12-step programs, how old and crusty people are. Mm -hmm. But this day and age, they're young. Very and because young. of the drugs pushes you through your ism if you will mm -hmm. um more quickly through the stages of addiction i think if i stayed on whiskey and weed i probably would have gone a long time before it got too bad i love that you say that i love that you say that because i i, I tell people very similar to me when i was doing ghb i sustained ghb for a good decade until some dude offered me a, a meth pipe yeah and i'd stayed clear from it because i saw what it did to some of my friends but my inhibitions were already down yeah, I did. I smoked meth. And the moment I hit that pipe and I looked at myself in the mirror, like I felt invincible. But at the same time, yeah. I was like, you just met your match, buddy. You're fucking going to go down yeah. like in flames. And six months is all it took for meth to bring me Fast. down. Had I just done GHP, I probably would have prolonged another however many years. Right, right. And, and uh, you know, we addicted people will trim our life and lower our expectations to make our using okay, mm -hmm. right? Well, he didn't call and stick to work, right? All of a sudden, the bar gets set real low, proving we don't have a problem. Yeah, but man. here, for me, on the other end, I had all these bands, you know, right? We're trying to get the record deal. It was more like that in the old days. And finally, when I started doing meth, I started really like, we were 
just on this art kick. We were taking, you know, pictures and videos. And this is before camera phones and all that and poetry and drawing. And I was up all night doing songs and learning yeah. drum machines. And then we became the coolest band in town, yeah. like Black Flies. And all these people are giving us clothes, putting us in ads. And I'm a full blown tweaker. So how are you going to tell me I got a problem? My right. dreams are coming to fruition, <laughs> which I love to share that because I'm not giving credit to Meth at all now. But then I wouldn't hear I had a problem. How many people? Because it was working for you then. How many people are super successful in life with horrible addiction problems? There's been politicians who are famous, like Winston Churchill, drink right. a lot, whatever. And he was, you know, prime minister. I think that's his title. <laughs> uh, but so the point is we can't fool ourselves with some mm. measure of success proving we don't have a problem. Was there people in your life um, and I and was there people in your life who's, who sat you down and said, y you need to clean up like you need to fix it? Or were you just surrounded? And, and, I, you know, I used to surround myself with people who did drugs like me so that it would never be a case of pot calling the kettle right. black, you know, because I would sit there and. None of my friends at that time with the circle I was running with would have ever called me out because I would have looked back at them and said, yeah. yeah, I may have blacked out last night, but you're no different. Yeah. So I did get singled out, but I also have had a very strong personality and been influential. So basically what I'm getting at is I got my whole band on tweak. Mm -hmm. I got my singer on it and he and I were like, we were like, not to say we were Beatles level, but we were like Lennon and McCartney. He and I wrote most of everything together. We had a team. So he was tweaked out. We got our other guitar player tweaked out. The other members on the outside, they, they started doing it not to the level we did it. I mean, I was on tweak every day for three years, like all day, every day. Like I barely slept for three years and got a record deal. Then when we mixed our record, wow. we were, so I was like the king of my own domain, like, what are you talking about? I don't got a problem with these songs I'm giving. Look at these songs I'm yeah. giving you, you know? Then we got, well, I don't want to say, because I'll incriminate. But we, we got everybody around us. <laughs> we got everybody around us on it, too. That's, I, I was such a drug pusher, too. Mm -hmm. Like, if I was with a, a, a group of friends, I'd be like, oh, you should do a dose of G. Oh, it'll make yeah. you feel great. Yeah. Because the more people I could do it, the yeah. better I felt about Misery myself. Misery loves company. <laughs> I didn't realize I was doing that at the time. Like, I wanted people to have a good time. I, I, but looking back on it, it's exactly what yeah. I was doing. Yeah, my drummer, he actually was cool in the beginning. I was just getting into Tweak, and he saw me change, and he said, uh, he said, when does it all end? And I was like, what do you mean, when does it all end? But now that I'm sober, I totally get it. So if you're out there struggling or thinking about yeah. it, when does it end? Like, when does it stop? Like, if you, because you know how we love to say, well, I'm just, I love to get drunk. I'm choosing to be this way. Okay, how long are you going to choose totally. to be a drunk or a tweaker or a dope shooter? What are you going to be? Like a 60 year old person that, you know, does whatever you're doing? Well, what was it for you? Like, what, at what age and at what time in your life did you finally, did Wes hit his rock bottom? Dude, it is a long, gnarly story, but I'll try to get. So, when we got out on the road, I, after a few years of doing meth and we're out on the road for a year, I started getting off the meth and thinking that was the problem, right? It's the heavy stuff. But I was still getting singled out as a drinker, but nobody was like, you're an alcoholic because, you know, I am by, was by the textbook version. But not by like, you know, society standards. I wasn't like, well, I did probably pee myself a couple times. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I, was, I wasn't right. a bum on the street. I had, I was a, a rock star or whatever. Yep. So I was trying to control it and having some measure of success, like getting it down to just drinking a little blow. Right? That's okay. That's a, that's okay. That's what band guys do. But when I finally left my band head because it was just not going well at all for a bunch of other reasons. 
Um, not just addiction, just we weren't getting along. Anyhow, I got a job with my brother, and I was so depressed that I went back to meth, mm. and I had one of my, right, the, we talked about the lesser companions we hang with. My yeah. buddy, he goes, man, this is your problem. You're not doing meth with this. And he mm. held up dope. He helped, uh, held up heroin. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you're so smart. That's why meth went so bad years ago. If I just mix meth and heroin, it'll be much better. And we talk about that in addiction, too, where it's like we have these ideas based in, quote, sound reasoning. Right. In our <laughs> Right, right. We think it, may, it makes so much sense. And, yeah. and so many of us do. Like, well, I won't drink whiskey. I'll just, you know, get a wine enema and I'll be okay. Whatever. Yeah. I... <laughs> so that was the beginning of the end. Don't try a wine enema. No. Yeah. It, but, uh, I mean, unless you want to, <laughs> to each their own. But um, I was working with my brother. I was I was just destroyed i didn't know who i was anymore i ha- didn't have my career in the band and i was doing an office job and doing meth and heroin trying mm. to be like audio gear this is west can i help you it was brutal so i went to my brother and i finally had to break down and tell him what i was doing because i was wearing like full makeup trying right. not to show the bad i was getting really weird yeah well, you know when people are like how are you and you take it as they're going how are, how are you? you? And you're taking it as like, how are you? And you're like, I'm, yeah, great, I'm great, dude. And they're like, no, <laughs> no dude. How <laughs> do, are you? I was getting a lot of that. So I told my brother I was going to quit and get it under control. And he was like, yeah, drink a little, smoke some weed. But what was happening is that was kicking in my allergy. Mm. I was, I would never had a problem with Corona's, it seemed. Yeah. But I would drink a Corona after a week sober and be at the dealer's house going, what happened? Yeah. So I failed every test to change it on my own, and I ended up in a rehab, and that's when they taught me about my disease of addiction and right. the allergy. When I consume anything that changes how I feel, I get the phenomenon of craving, and I want more, 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 yep. whatever it is. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. identify with a lot of that, and I start <laughs> – and that's the thing, like we tell people all the time, like I tried before I was ever introduced to a 12 step program, before I was ever introduced, I naturally uh, tried to stop myself. Like sure. I would go on a weekend bender. Palm Springs was uh, my devil's playground. That's where I chose to do all my devil's work. So I'd go out there, get high on meth for a weekend, and I'd come back and be like, okay, I still had my job, I yeah. still had my house, and I still had a car, and nobody knows, so I'm okay. But I, as long as I only do that partying once a month mm. and then like I would come home on Tuesday after crashing hard from partying all weekend and I'd physically beat myself up like just so pissed at myself that I allowed myself to do some of the things I was doing high yeah. and would physically beat myself up in front of the mirror crying saying I'll never do it again. Well, by Friday, I would start to feeling good again. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, how the hell did I end up back in Palm Springs the following yeah. weekend doing the exact same drugs? And it wasn't until I went into recovery that I realized that I was truly trying to stop on my own, which would yeah. have n- which was never going to work. That's the powerlessness. Right. And sometimes when I work with people who are new or whatever, and we, you know, we do rock recovery, which probably we'll talk about later. But oh, yeah, we're in treatment centers and some of them are like alternative. Some of them are 12 step. Some of them are smart recovery, whatever. But there's certain people that would say, we'd go, well, how are you going to stop? And they'd go, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to do it on my own and remember how bad it was. And I'm like, yeah. that never worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you. Right. But it didn't work for me. Because how far is a bad memory going to take you? A week, a month, six months, a year? What about at three years when it's a distant memory and you're just like, 
and you aren't working anything, you don't have the tools to re- yeah. to rely on or the people that I always say, yeah. the people in my life, which I'm sure you probably relate, the people in my life today, 99.999% of them never knew me when I was a druggie. Hmm. The majority of the people in my life today all know the sober me, and so I yeah. share a war story now and then, and hmm. I get the look of shock on their face because they're like, you are the most in-control person <laughs> we have in our lives. That could not have been you. Yeah. I'm like, that's the program. Yeah, um, yeah. I do want to talk about um, rock to recovery because I think it is so incredible. You know, the, the, the reason Wes, I, I started this podcast is I'm trying to end the stigma, trying to end the yep. stigma of addiction. It, it, it exists. I've been denied recently a job with CBS news network. I was offered a job. They found out I was writing, um, a book about addiction and they pulled the contract. It all goes jerks. Back, it all goes back to the stigma. That's still stigma. Yeah. The stigma that still exists. But this podcast is all about giving people a sense of hope because I, there's just, there's not enough stories of hope with addiction, especially when we're dealing with hardcore drugs. Um, and so I love what you're now doing with Rock to Recovery. Explain what Rock to Recovery is and what your mission in life now is through music. So when I was playing with Corn, which by the way, I only got that gig because I was sober. Right. What? So I was, yeah, that's an important part in, in terms of the context you're speaking yeah. of. So I crash and burn with head, and then I got sober after that, working my brother where we were at my story. And then I never thought I'd do music again. It didn't make sense. And I was like, I'm not getting in the van, dude, at like whatever I was, 38 years old at the time, and starting over at that low level. Right. But then I started really having this feeling like, man, I just feel like I'm supposed to be up there playing like weird more than I wanted to. I felt like that's where I was supposed to be. And I started meditating and praying on getting back into the music. And I started doing this awe meditation for mm-hmm. manifestation. It's a Wayne Dyer one. You can look it up. Awe meditation. Okay. And I started awe meditating on getting back in the music. And within 10 days of that, Corn hit me up to come play with him. And they hit me up because they wanted a sober guitar player because wow. the guy they had, uh, who was a fill-in guy, was drinking too much and hiding it, and they were like over it because they, you know, they had been there, done that. That guy's now dead, by the way. God bless him. His name's Shane Gibson. He was an Uber shredder, great guy. He just drank himself to death very quickly at a very young age um, after he was out of the band, and right. uh, so. That's that was all they that was all because of that, you know, being sober, getting that gig. And I toured around the world totally sober because I had a program of recovery that showed me how to stay safe, be safe and not want to drink. I didn't do it my first day sober. It was almost about two and a half years. But the corn gig was going away and uh, and I had already left the band world once with head PE, but then I wasn't sober. So I just ran to my brother and the first job I could get this time. I had some spiritual tools Mm -hmm. and and. What they say is you can pray for your, uh, yourself if others are to be helped. So there's this part of me that wanted to be in self-pity, like I have the raddest gig ever, corn, and now I'm going to lose it because the original guy is coming back, and I'm, whatever, 40 years old, and I don't have a job, and I'm sober, and I'm, and I'm out of, I'm a you know, broke musician. Poor me. <laughs> but instead of doing that, I was like, all right, God, if this is who I am right. supposed to be, clearly I'm supposed to be sober, and clearly I was called to play music. The key that changed my whole life was from that prayer, how can I help others and make a living? Mm -hmm. So when I put it out there asking the universe to be guided, then it was like, you need to help people with music. And that's when I remembered my time in rehab, how there wasn't music in my rehab. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to create a program that could change all that. So that's what Rock Recovery is. And uh, 
and I pitched it for six months probably before everybody would go, that's a great idea. Yeah, want to hire me? Nope. Right. So I pitched it for a long time. By the way, I founded the organization on 12-12 of 12, so I think I got magic powers from that. I like that. Yeah, and I, I finally got a taker, and once I, I got a taker, it just took off. Like I, I get non-musicians to sing, write, perform, and record a song all inside of an hour or two, depending on how long our session is. Somehow, it was right in my wheelhouse of abilities that I know how to disarm people, meet them at where they are mm. at. Everybody says they're not musical, but really everybody is. There's like 98% of the world is musical on some level. And, you know, you just need a few notes, and a, everybody puts in a little part. And by the end, I will take a room of 10 or 15 people, and they will all be singing and playing. And we'll wow. record it. A song we wrote together from our hearts, our words. So it's their song by them for them. And so when people, when therapists would walk by the room and see, like, whatever, Billy the junkie who won't talk to anybody <laughs> singing yeah. a hook that's like, I'm not shooting dope today or whatever yeah. it is, yeah. they're like, how did you do that? Because right. music's so... Disarming. Disarming. Yeah. And, and it's it, something that connects us all. It connects us all. So because of what we're doing, we, we just had so many people interested in our services. And now I have a staff of 12 and we just launched wow. in Oregon and we're in Nashville and we're in San Diego, Orange, L.A. counties and NorCal. So we're all over. We do probably about 500 sessions every month now. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. And, and I, I read a few articles that you had been interviewed in and. And you really talk about, which I think is really cool, you talk about how it really gives you kind of service work, right? Being able to compound what you're passionate in, music, and still, I know for me, by even doing stuff like this and you know sharing other people's stories and sharing stories about hope and addiction, it gives me a, a sense of purpose in my life. And, Huge. And I always say, keeps me sober. And it's a very simple thing that we learn in any 12-step program is that it's the actual act of service work for somebody else doing that, which actually keeps me – allows me to keep the gift of sobriety. Yeah. So there's a couple things there. I think, I, you know, all humans are kind of messed up in their own way. Mm -hmm. Not like – you know, we all have our challenges. We're imperfect. Absolutely. And that's okay. But us alkies, us drug addicts have certain things that are more challenging on greater levels. Um, it seems like the outside world – tends to be a little less selfish they get that like hey let me help other people thing i'm talking broad strokes here right whereas an alcoholic and a drug addict who's suffering and just trying to keep his life from completely crumbling gets in what i call survival mode and totally. it's about me all the time what i need i need this and you don't get me and i'm a victim and right, <laughs> right. so yeah right what you're saying is i have to get out of self and help totally. other people and then when you start seeking you start getting these little nuggets of information or these realizations or these experiences that show you not you're not just hearing it, but you're witnessing it in your life. And what I have learned, because I got to play with corn totally sober, and that was amazing. Eighty thousand people. It's great. But there is nothing like the fulfillment mm. of watching people who were sick and hurting and bummed out and like just hating their day in rehab be transformed and getting a letter from somebody going like that was the one thing that made me stay in treatment. Yeah. And what I heard afterwards, which helped put kind of a, a title on it is what it is, is instead of searching for happiness where we're like, where is it? It's over there. It's the car. It's the girl. Yeah. It's the money. I was taught that it's not happiness. We're looking for, we're looking for fulfillment. And when we're fulfilled, mm. then we're happy. God, and I so, love what you're saying. I love this message. So for, for me, it's finding fulfillment. So when I'm out there helping people, 
You know what I mean? That gave me joy. Otherwise, I'm getting chills right now. What yeah. are you looking for in happiness? Like to laugh with your friends? Okay, that's cool too. But yeah. so when we can be of service and help others and just leave with that filled heart. Dude, so I, I love that message because it's I, I I was just having a conversation with even my agent recently. <laughs> and, um, and I have told people. Uh, since launching this podcast in January, five episodes in, recorded about 12 already, I have told my friends, I said, listen, I feel more fulfilled doing these podcasts and sharing these stories yeah. than anything I have ever done in news. And that even overrides every Emmy award that I have ever won for any story that I've done in news. It, cool. it overrides every accolade I've ever done. Because I've never felt more fulfilled. And I still love news. I'm going to get back into it. But I've never felt more fulfilled doing this and yeah. sharing these stories. And I am not making a single dollar. Yeah, I'm not getting paid a single dollar to do it. But it is a beautiful life lesson that I'm learning now into yeah. doing something I'm so passionate about and wanting to help others has given me so much fulfillment in yeah. my heart. And it's energy. It's I get I get I think a lot about energy equations. And I'll try to explain this in the sense that in band world, it's like you keep needing input. Like I need you to praise the show. I need you to buy the record. I need you to. I need to know. I need to know. And so I have to have all this stuff coming at me, and it goes away very quickly. Mm. Like good show, great, good show. I need more, more, more. Mm. And you're in a constant like bring it to me fulfillment it starts from here and it's shooting out right when mm. you know you help somebody or you had a, it's like it comes from here it goes out and you don't need more no. and it lasts a long time yeah so the high doesn't go away in a second like a cheap date or something the next day you wake up and you go man that was such a cool day yesterday and you can ride that high yeah and then what i love to because i feel like sometimes if you're a newcomer or somebody who's looking like oh what are they talking about i just need to stop shooting dope or stop drinking whiskey when i wake up if you could just imagine that everything you've done bad in your life or you feel bad or the shame and guilt mm. is exactly how you're going to help somebody and you have this great opportunity, right, to turn it into a, a force for good. I always say that addicts at our worst were liars, cheaters, thieves, and manipulators. Addicts, when we are treated and we are in working or active, we can use our superpowers. Yeah. We're very brilliant people. Yeah. We can use our superpowers for good. Yeah. And that is the crucial turning point in becoming, you know, in your active recovery is when we're using those powers for good. Yeah. Um, and I, I want people to understand this from you because they're going to see that you're a rock guy is that I know for me, when I first got sober, I honestly thought I would never laugh again. I would never have a good time again. I'll never like bellyache laugh. Yeah. And what I have learned in recovery is that I have laughed harder. I have more joy. Yeah. I, I, I wish I could go back and tell my younger self, dude, you will enjoy life tenfold in recovery. Mm -hmm. And that has been my experience so far. Yeah, and I, I love this topic because it's the insanity. They talk about in some literature like our alcoholic life seemed the only normal one. We're in full flight from reality. The thing is, is like people come in and they're like, yeah, I don't know about sobriety. <laughs> How good is your life now? You're puking up blood. You're yeah. dope sick all day. Your life's in the shitter. And you're like, I'm not sure about sobriety. I don't know. That's the insane thing. It's insane. And I was a tweaker. Tweakers yeah. don't really laugh. I don't know drunks that really laugh. And if you do, you don't know. So true. Yeah. So true. Do you ever hear a junkie laughing like, ha ha, they're like nodding off. That's where they want to be. So it's like, 
we are diminishing our whole life. Like we're just making this little teeny small life. Yeah. Um, and we're really turning ourselves into the smallest versions of ourselves. Mm. Right. You know what I mean? And when we get sober, we continue to evolve and we learn how to become better people and find out like character defects. We talk about a lot. You find out all the things that have been holding you back your whole life yeah. that you didn't realize were holding you back. And the reasons why you were getting loaded, we get down to causes and conditions. Maybe it's trauma, maybe it's just insecurity or anxieties, whatever, but we start to address that stuff in sobriety and we turn into a version of ourselves we've never seen. And that's where the joy comes from. And the relationships, um, as, as we start to kind of wind down here, the relationships in your life today compared to the relationships that you had when They're you were real. out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on. If you're out, if you're listening to this podcast and you can relate, you probably got some good people in your life, but you're probably hanging with a lot of people that you know you shouldn't be hanging with that mm -hmm. don't have your back. And another thing I just saw recently was a saying that says, you want to know who your friends are? Get sober. Because they all go away. All the druggy friends go away. I have a few friends that stuck by me, mm -hmm. and they still they're like normies, if you will. And yeah. they're like, "You should be sober, homie. <laughs> you don't care if I drink." I dude. should say that the normies have stuck around. Yeah, but, yeah. But the people who, if yeah. you aren't there at eleven o'clock at night to meet nah. them at the bar, if you miss a few bars, they're gonna stop calling you. You know what those are? Those are like the people with like a boat was singing in the ocean that you're like hanging onto a log 100%. with. And once you get to land, you're, they're, they're, they're out of there. They but like, that's you. a beauty that I've learned, you know, through the 12 steps that I've, when I started working the steps that I realized one of my biggest character defects, and, and that's a great thing to be aware of them so that you can avoid them. But my biggest character defect is that like, I'm a chameleon and that if you put me around a bunch of dark people who are doing a bunch of dark stuff, I'm going to go right down there and be dark with you. And I'm going to ride that, that ship down to the bottom of the ocean with you. And so at least being aware of it, yeah. You stay away from it. We we each we all have a, a small self and a big self. Like yeah. the, the higher self and the lower self. The lower self needs anger. It needs you know has all those things lust and acting out and insecurities and it it always does stuff to bring more fear and mm. keep you small. Yeah. Right. And so when we get, I love the I just love the concept of character defects because I think a lot of people in addiction who are struggling go, what does that have to do? I just want to stop doing yeah. dope. But really, those are the reasons that made us get loaded. Totally. And so once we have those in check or know how to look out for them, the high becomes just life. Yes. We don't have to anesthetize ourselves. Yeah. And I tell people, too, um, listen, uh, there's no right way and there's no wrong way to get sober. I never did 90 and 90. I just didn't. I mean, it was suggested. I didn't do it. And the moment I went and I never went to treatment. I never went to rehab. I went to an AA meeting. And yeah. that's how I got sober. And, I've, and, you know, in the nine years I've been sober, relapse is not part of my story. It doesn't have to be ever be part of your story. Um, and I always want people to know that there's no right way and there's no wrong way. Well, if it's working. It's working. Right. Um, there's one thing, though, that, you know, was key for me is learning that I am I like the textbook term of alcoholic, which I have an allergy that mm. we talked about earlier. Yeah. Some people don't have that. And mm. so the journey for many is like, what can I do safely? And some people harm reduction works for them. Right. It doesn't work for me. The scary thing is that people will die trying to prove which they are like safe or not. Yeah. And so. I heard a say somebody say a speaker say once if you if you have a drug or an alcohol problem you quit and your problem goes away but if you're an alcoholic if you're a, an addict like I am when you quit now you're stuck with the problem of yourself so if when you quit you're miserable mm. 
then your problem is probably much more than just drinking and using. If you hate how you feel sober, if you're restless, irritable, and discontent, that's how I was. And that's why there's programs of recovery. Totally. Because they're not teaching you how not to use at all. They don't even talk about that. What they're doing is letting you change your person, yourself, your makeup. So you feel so good and you love yourself so much, not in like a staring at yourself in yeah. the mirror, like, eh. hey. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you love yourself enough that you don't want to get loaded anymore. Okay. And lastly, how can people reach out to, to rock to recovery? So we're on all the social medias and the interwebs. So it's rock R O C K T O. It's T O recovery. We're on Instagram. We're on uh, Facebook. We're on, you know, you name it. We have a website. You can also find me. I'm Wes Gear, uh, seven letters, W-E-S-G-E-E-R. I'm all over the interwebs, too. Reach out. A lot of people do. You know, they love to share stories or ask for help, and that's, you know, like what you're doing. Together, Right. you know, we can overcome anything, and that's how, that's how AA was founded. The yep. first thing they found is, like, doctors and people trying to talk to alkies and drug addicts wasn't working, but one druggie to another, one alkie to another. Cuts right through. It works. So if you're looking for answers, find somebody who struggled with what you struggle with but has found a way out. Right. And if you're – a lot of parents watch this podcast because that's a lot of the emails that I get are from parents. Okay, cool. So if you're a parent and your 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 kid is like, nah, I don't need recovery, like they're a bunch of old people and losers and da-da-da-da, have them check this out because yeah. kids need to know, oh, dude, that's like one of my favorite rock bands and like – it, 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 that's why I'm so happy when I see these people coming out and speaking about it because it lets people know that yeah. they're not alone in their own thoughts. Some of your favorite rock stars and actors are outwardly sober. Bradley Cooper yeah. is, is outwardly sober. Uh, um, who am I trying to think of? Oh, now I forgot. Darn it. But there's a lot. There's a lot. And, <laughs> there's so many. If you go out there. And there's and cool people. So. They're cool, yeah, cool. Cool, really people, cool people. Actors, actresses. Not that it's all about that. But no. the point is that um, it doesn't make your life small. It makes your life amazing. Totally. Robert Downey Jr. That Robert guy, Downey Jr. He was having all that problems. His career was in the shitter. And now it's The amazing. guy got sober and he got huge. That's what happens. That's what happens. That's your life becomes amazing. Yeah. Dude, thank you so much for sharing your story with Thanks me. Thanks for That's having so me, awesome. bro. Rock to Recovery. Check it out. Also, you can check out Escaping Rock Bottom, this podcast, on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, on YouTube, and my website, escapingrockbottom.com. We'll see you back here next Wednesday.